It's the Life After High School podcast. Uh, so, Devin, welcome to the show, man. Um, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I've been a fan of your ski career and everything growing up and watching you kind of develop and following your races and your competition. So I'm really honored to have you on the show. So thanks for being here, man. Oh, thanks. No problem. It's, it's good to be here. It's good to chat with you. And uh, oh, it's a fun project that you're working on. So just glad to be a part of it. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. So with that being said, uh, can you kind of take us through because you've done a lot since kind of your transition leaving high school. Can you kind of take us through um, kind of from that transition to kind of where we are now, and then we'll kind of go through it that way. Sure. Well, I'm 38 years old right now. So, I mean, high school was 19 years ago, which is kind of scary to think about. Oh my God. Yeah. Back in my day, we had OAC, um, which is like grade 13 for your parents' generation. <laughs> yeah. For my generation, it was called OAC. Um, so after I was 19, I moved out to Alberta, mm-hmm. uh, to join the Canadian national ski team. It's based, it still is based in Camor, Alberta, but at that time it was like a residency rule. So if you wanted to be a member, you had to actually be resided um, where the base of the national team was. uh, It was a centralized program. So I moved out to Alberta. I started university at University of Calgary, although I never finished, (laughs) Uh, but I'm going back to school right now where I am now. But uh, so, yeah, so from the age of 19 to the age of 36, I was a professional skier. Uh, with the Canadian national ski team mm-hmm. and traveling the world cup circuit doing like the world championships and Olympics thing. So uh, that was, that was my life for many, many, many years. And it was uh, quite the adventure and a lot of fun. Like I said, I put my schooling on, on ice uh, for the 26, 2006 season, sorry. Um, because I, well, I did some correspondence courses that year, but uh, that was my leading into my first Olympic games back in 2006 in Torino, Italy and my last Olympic Games was the year I I retired, and that was in 2018, three years ago. So nice. Now, looking back on that kind of that time period for now, um, what was something like? Why cross country ski, man? Why was that? Like, what was that about? What was that like? I, I was too small to be a hockey player. That's the that's the real story. <laughs> no, I joking aside, like hockey, yeah. this this wouldn't surprise many people from Sudbury, but but. Um, hockey was my big love and I I was absolutely in love with the game and I played hockey for 10 years actually um and that was my number one sport but as I got a little bit older and hitting started you know out in peewee when hitting became legal uh, I was always a pretty small pretty small kid and and uh born in December I'm born in on like in late December that's not Uh, great for hockey either so I was way smaller than the rest of the guys and I got roughed up a little bit a couple times and ended up taking some trips to the hospital, actually, which kind of freaked me out, to be honest. So yeah, no and and skiing was just something our family did. Always had my grandparents skied. Uh, but we're talking like gorp eating, knicker wearing, not knickers, because they're not that old. But I'm not like, uh, you know, maybe like gators and, and uh, trail mix and, yeah. and going out with a, a backpack kind of thing, that kind of skiing. So I grew up doing that ever since I can remember. I mean, I, I feel like I was skiing since I was walking. Um, but racing was never a big part of it. And I think it's just yeah. the community, you know, growing up with, in, in, in Sabri, we had a good community and I, I raced with Lorenzo Nordic for my whole junior career. And, um, uh, we had a, you know, I wasn't a big club uh, by all means, but it was a good group of guys and we were friends and, you know, that always makes a big difference when you have good peers around you. Yeah, I can imagine. And now with that being said, I don't know if you've heard there 
and I'll make this like real quick uh, about it, but I guess the university is in debt. So they're trying to sell the land that those, tra- yeah. those trails are kind of occupying stuff, which is very, very, I don't like it. Cause I was training on it the other day with a friend of mine doing some like sprint work and stuff for our, uh, for competitions. And so doing that, I was like, man, do you hear? And he's like, this is the worst. It's the worst. Cause who knows? Yeah. Like they might sell the whole track, all the loops and stuff. It's just property yeah. to them. So yeah, I'm, I'm so dis I'm so disappointed. I, you know, there's been some things in the past. I don't know if you've followed along, but maybe some of your listeners have followed along with, mm-hmm. with the university before it, became known that it's been mismanaged for decades <laughs> oh, yeah. that was known publicly uh there was some there was a lot of talk that they were going to try and sell some of that land to put another through fair to th- put another road um from the south end into the university right through that wilderness area and that uh wild space and i was so against that because i mean that's a real jewel of the city and and yeah. for a city that's you know I know that Subri itself isn't quite this big, but the greater Subri area is 160,000 people and to have a university with a green space right in the backyard like that, that should be, that should be protected. And I know, I know yeah, I'm biased. Absolutely. I know I, I grew up there and I grew up skiing on those trails and exploring those trails and running and, and mm-hmm. uh, everything mountain biking. Yeah. But um, that's a real gem of the city of Subri and Subri has a lot of scars in its history because of big industry I know Inco and well, what was Inco now? It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's all multinational companies, know, yeah, yeah, Valley and Rio Tinto and stuff, but hmm. I know it's all multinational companies now, but you know, Falconbridge and Inco did a lot of, you know, gave a lot of people jobs in the Sebri area, but it also destroyed the landscape and destroyed the environment. And the fact that that area behind Laurentian University and in the South End like that had yeah. been pseudo protected you know what i mean it was university university yeah. land that was undeveloped was a real is a real gift for for a city that has had a lot of scars because yeah. of uh poor well not poor at the time it was I mean, just what was known but but um questionable environmental decisions yeah. that happened in the Sudbury area for you know decades and looking back on it now, you could say you could say poor decisions in the grand scheme of things now. Looking yeah, back but on at it, the time you didn't know exactly. Right. That's exactly right. But I, I, I yeah. hope I hope that I mean it wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them, but I mean that would have been that would be such a huge short-sighted, mm-hmm. mismanaged disaster if they sold the land that was behind there just to put in more houses and yeah. and, and and destroy it. I, I really hope that doesn't happen, although mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not holding my breath. I don't know. I, yeah. but uh, that would break my heart really. Yeah. Fair. With that uh, being said, so transitioning when you were in, um, when you were in Canmore and you were training, what was it, what was kind of the hardest part, like the most intense thing that you guys did to prepare? Cause you're like cross country skiing is no joke. Like it's not a quick get over it like get over with the race, like snap of the fingers, 10, 30 second race. Like that's, it's grueling, man. You're in the mountains training and skiing. Like it's cold, like picked in my opinion, one of the harder winter sports to be good at. So why? Like what was something you have, you have to like to suffer. There's no question about it. I mean, if you don't, if you don't like suffering, it's not the sport for you. Um, And that's why peer group is so important. And I, like I said, at Laurentian Nordic, we had just such a great peer group growing up. And then I had a great peer group as well on the national ski team programs for, for all the years I was on the team. And I mean, of course the training is, is grueling. I mean, I remember, you know, some training camps, especially one cycle that we repeated often up at altitude. Uh, so it's something that'd be like over 2,500 meters above 
above sea level and we do these rotations where you'd have like six hours of training but you do like a six-hour training day a six-hour training day the following day a six-hour training day the next day come down to a little lower altitude do two easier workouts of like a couple hours each session then intervals and strength that's probably another four hours of training then an easy day then a rest day and then repeat that cycle and that was grueling i mean that's that that is absolutely punishing for the body and mentally but um like you said, you know, the, the training that you have to do as a cross-country skier, um, as you get older, I mean, it's not something that I would, you, we don't want like 16, 17 year olds doing that sort of training. You have to build up to it, but on the international level, for sure. I mean, we train, you know, at, at my peak, I was training around a thousand hours uh, a year of training. And that's over like an 11 month period that we count it really. Oof. So from May 1st till April 1st, let's say um mm. so it's so it's a lot of training and um you know it's but but it's so much fun and you know yeah. it's like a lot of things in life if you don't love to do it you'll it, it'll eat you up and spit you out and, yeah. and you wouldn't and you won't last it's not a sport that you can kind of do as a job really one no. <laughs> as well if you do well but it's um uh, it, it's definitely something that you have to have a passion for to, to do. But it, of course, big transition moving away from, from Sudbury uh, and my friends and family and Camor is, you know, about 3000 kilometers West. I didn't know many people out there and um, you know, Sudbury is a bigger city and not a bigger city for Canadians, like in Canadian perspective, but uh, Canmore at the time was just under 10,000 people. So that's a big change when you grew up in Sudbury and, and I was commuting in University of Calgary, which is about an hour drive, uh, a couple of days a week to go to school as well. So, so it was uh, it was a big transition, no question. It was a huge, huge change. Yeah, you don't say. Geez, so what's kind of what's a misconception? Let's say that Olympic af- that are that people have, like the let's say average people have about Olympic or world level elite level outliers in this case for in terms of olympic athletes and world uh, champions yeah i don't know I, that that's hard to say you know we have you know a lot of things in canada that i think is of better and worse but mm. you know the one thing is like i think we got this from the u.s where maybe like the olympics looms large in canadian in the canadian psyche or in the canadian perspective and i think that's because we're not a sporting country we're a sports fan country we like like sitting on the couch and watching sports on tv but Mm. but we we and the olympics is something that like these fringe sports like cross-country skiing or biathlon or alpine or a lot of the the sports in the summer olympics as well most sports in in the olympic movement are are sports that the general population in north america don't get to see on a regular basis so the world cup's not shown on tv it's not followed in the newspaper you know we learn every time Connor McDavid changes his shoelace color or sorry, his skate lace color. Uh, but we don't hear like, you don't hear like the in-depth stories of a struggling or like not just struggling of a great champion in, in, uh, in an Olympic sport. So I think, um, you know, maybe a, a misconception would be, yeah, like it's, it's for sure. It's a, it's a long, it's a long journey and you have to love it. And it's, you can't really look to like the the big three sports or the big four sport, the big three sports in Canada, really, which is like NBA, MLB and, and NHL. NHL yeah. Um, yeah. Cause CFL is not, not a major sport, but uh, NFL yeah. is popular in Canada as well. And, and mm-hmm. it's just, you can't really compare Olympic sports to true professional sports, mainly because you, you just don't have the, <laughs> you don't have the funding structures in place. No question. No. 
which is tricky. I don't know what they kind of do to switch that, but. Yeah, I think, but that um, again, like, I think it comes down to like this culture that we're, that I'm trying to touch upon is, you know, Canada, there's not like an understanding of what a lot of these sports are because people don't really do sports in Canada. They do it as kids. And then if you're hockey, you know, I think what, what I did, like my kind of trajectory in hockey is probably like fairly common for a lot of Canadians where you play sport, you play hockey from the, I played from the age of four to 14, uh, like in organized hockey. But I mean, you know, let's say a normal kid like now, cause I don't think you can start hockey until you're five. So let's say you play like hockey at five to 15 yeah. and you go to school, maybe play some high school volleyball or something and then go yeah. to university and then just have no real connection to sport other than that after that other than watching it on tv right and these people become the business leaders uh of the country and and they just don't have this connection to what how important sport is to develop you as a person uh because you know they they have no connection to it other than watching it on tv like i said and, and yeah. i think i think that that creates a, a challenging environment for 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 uh, amateur athletes around the country to find sponsors for themselves, but also to fund programs, you know, Canadian yeah. Olympic programs are underfunded compared to their compatriots. And also another tough thing with that is like coming back local is like these ideas, like what's happening around the LU keep coming back to that. But mm. like, if you had business leaders or even leaders in the university that grew up running those trails skiing those trails mountain biking on those trails with their with their whole family with their grandparents mm -hmm. with their parents with their peers this would be a no question of course we are going to protect yeah. this land and we're going to keep it for we can cut other things that were useless with the university but like this green space is a shining star of the campus mm -hmm. that would just be such a no-brainer but in canada we don't have that culture no if people sit inside and watch tv you know they're out of yeah. shape and they just that, that, like they, they don't have the connection to how important that is and i think that's uh that's that's a misconception of of right. society at large in canada but i guess yeah. the com most common misconception with olympic athletes <laughs> in canada is you know that we do train just as much and and or just as professional as mm -hmm. as a professional sports but you just get paid at a way lower level wow i appreciate you sharing that part because that's i I think there is a huge disconnect in terms of as somebody, and I think it goes back to kind of what you said a few minutes ago about why like, those people in those leadership roles within the university for easy example, right? Um, growing up with those people being exposed to those areas and having that connection of my childhood was spent here, or I was learning this stuff, whether it be Sudbury, Alberta, like East Coast, West Coast. It's all the same and there's a disconnect and i think going into that there's a lot of people that don't quite understand and including myself like i've shifted from sports and kind of done to different things but always kind of stayed connected because that's just the beginning part of how i was raised and it's always just like i've loved to be active and so it's like training on the track for whatever reason during this pandemic and stuff like that so i think it's challenging for all of us that there's a disconnect and it's just trying to find a way to bring it back to the more the gross population and like making it more aware but it's just a matter of how do we do that yeah and i think i think how we do that is understanding i mean like this is just kind of like, i don't want to get preachy or anything i mean people can <laughs> do whatever whatever they want but the reality right. the, the facts are the, the facts are in are, are out there for all to see is like is the subway area is one of the most unhealthy populations in all of canada 
you know, when you look at like heart disease as a marker, for example, and, and we do have great nature Mm -hmm. right in our backyard, but it has to be cultivated. And I think, I think sometimes we get too intimidated too, to be like, Oh, we need to be part of something organized or we need to, Oh, I can't do that. Cross country skiing is too hard or, or running or trail running. Like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? There's bears out there or something like that. And we just need to sense it. We just need to be a bit more desensitized and lower the bar a little bit instead of like everyone, those woods, especially just using LU as an example, like the South end forest there and the trails that are through there, those are access for all to use and enjoy. And you get so much out of that and all, I, I mean, every generation too. I, I think, I, I think that's what, I mean, sure. I had a little bit of an interesting upbringing with my, both my parents are pretty hippie and like all about the outdoors and spending time outdoors and stuff, not just not training necessarily, but just like hiking around. I mean, they were taking pictures of plants and talking about birds, which I thought is the most boring thing on planet earth, <laughs> but we were outside and I was climbing on those rocks and messing around and yeah, exploring and stuff like that. But I think, I think I think that is that it, it creates a curiosity and an appreciation for nature. And I, I, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of people are intimidated, honestly. I think a lot of people are intimidated to go out into the outdoors and then, and, and uh, explore because they've never done it before and they don't know those trails and they're not trail signs everywhere. And it's not, you know, there's, it's getting more and more, but I mean, like when I grew up, like I remember being um, grade eight, so then like 13 or whatever and training with guys that are like, 18 i never ran deep into those trails i mean i ran like the um, the the three loops or whatever the gully yeah. loop and the shed loop and and the wall and stuff but but like aside from that like way out on simics or like yeah. running out towards uh way deep into the south end like i mean i'd never ran on those single track trails before in my life and i'm running with 18 i was like i was like scared shitless like i didn't i'm like don't get dropped don't get dropped like yeah. if i get dropped i have no idea i'm never gonna get home i'm gonna die out here and that was with my sport that was in my sports club uh, the ski club. So, I mean, I, I understand that people feel in, intimidated when they got off, like yeah. what is essentially like a small gravel road and into that, that's those smaller trails. But uh, I just encourage people to just like start slow and get out there and move because mm-hmm. movement is medicine. If we could just all go out and get out into the woods every day for, could be like 20 minutes, man. You don't have yeah. to make it epic. You don't have to do like some four hour mountain bike way deep into there, but just getting out on the even just wait on the nicer days like mm-hmm. you know if, if, if this is something you're new to and it's not something you're used to doing you know going for a little hike or a trail run like slow like super slow like walking the uphills or whatever and just like getting out there uh, a little bit like and appreciating what you have in our backyard in Sudbury I think would go a long way and like you said mm-hmm. I, I just think there's a disconnect man like yeah. if, if we all of a sudden we're going to close like 15 hockey rinks in the Sudbury area like people would go ballistic but like a forest, they're like, well, what's the point? Like, whatever, we should put houses and stuff. And they there. cost more money to maintain arenas. Totally, totally. And, and, then, and then again, like I said, like I said, with hockey is like, I think it's an amazing sport. I love hockey. I still love hockey. And mm-hmm. I, I was so in love with hockey. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the vast majority of people, they, they play hockey till they're in their teenagers, then they go away from it. And then some drift back into like beer league hockey where they play once a week with their buds and which yeah. is awesome. But, um, but, but you know, these woods can, are there to be enjoyed by all at all times. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a real, I think it's something that's worth protecting. And I, but I also think the only way it's going to be protected is if we can shift the culture, nudge the culture a little bit over to like lower the bar of entry. You don't have to be hardcore dressed in spandex ripping around. You can go out there with a backpack, 
with mm. the, a sandwich and, uh, you know, or, or with a pair of like three stripe pants and cheap running shoes and just go for a half hour run on some of those trails. Cause yeah. we have beautiful trails in Sudbury. So I think, I think that's been, you know, I think that's something that we could, we could help do in Canada all around. Mm. I think that's the difference you see in Scandinavia compared to, to, yeah. sub, to, to Canada in general is like, there's not, you know, people aren't, it's just like, it's just so part of the culture to get out and move and be out mm-hmm. in nature, running, skiing, biking, kayaking, anything like, but, but you'll see all types. You'll see professional athletes that have like the best ski technique you've ever seen. They're fit as hell. They're probably world champions and stuff. But then you see like whole families, man. You see like dogs are out there. You have dogs on the ski trails. You have wow. eight year olds with their grandkids going slow. And yeah, it's just like people are just out moving. And I think when you have a whole population like that, it's easier to protect natural areas because everyone has a connection to it. Mm-hmm. And then also for, also for funding. I mean, you know, speaking for cross country skiing, which is kind of tricky to fund in, in Canada, yeah. of course it's tricky to fund when people don't understand what it is you're doing. Yeah. Whereas in Norway, sports is a, is a huge part of it. And cross country skiing is a national sport. So that's a yeah. bad comparison, <laughs> but um, you know, take like rowing or, or, or something like kayaking mm-hmm. in, yes. in like racing in norway i mean they don't have like they, they have good athletes yes that have won medals and stuff like that but they don't have like this deep-seated rich history but those athletes aren't struggling to make oh, a living to do their still sport, taken you know? care of and everything well taking care of maybe is a stretch but they like if they go in mm. and try and look for for sponsorship for example they're not having to start all the way from like okay this is an olympic sport this is what i do like even though people don't know rowing intimately they understand what pursuing a sport is you know what i mean and that's uh, something that in canada we we lack we, we yeah. just lack it's that understanding yeah totally uh, so what's the process like of getting a sponsorship or oh, a sponsor for example <laughs> yeah i was never good at that i mean i i sucked at that and i hated that as an athlete it was something that i just like oh my god i to be perfectly honest like <laughs> the thing that worked <laughs> the best for me there was two things one is just ski fast I mean, if you're doing your sport and you're good, you excel, (laughs) all that stuff, especially with like, especially with equipment sponsorship. Yeah. You think about like skis or sunglasses or poles, like it's nice to get that stuff for free. Um, but you get that when you're on the national team, that's taken care of early. Um, but you know, when you ski fast, you get paid to use it. So Fisher will pay you or Oakley will pay you or, you know, to use their products. And that helps. Of course it helps. And then you have bonuses. If you do well internationally, you get paid more. Nice. So, so that, that was, I mean, that was something that end prize money on the world cup is just, is good. I mean, if you win or when I was racing, they changed the payment structure a little bit, but like when I was active, you know, you win a world cup was 15,000 Swiss francs. So that's like 20,000 Canadian. So that's a, that's a good payday if you win. So if you're, yeah. you're good, if you're good, you make good money. Um, but uh, it falls quickly. If you're 10th on the World Cup, it was 250 Swiss francs in my days. And that's like, you know, 330 bucks or something. That, you, that doesn't pay the bills. No. And, that's 10th. and you're 10th in the world. Like, you're good. Like, if you're, if you're 10th in the World Cup, you're pumped. Because like that's, you're up there, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. And you get paid. Your, your prize money from FIS is wow. the, the, the International Ski Federation is $330 Canadian. But if you win, it's 20000 So it's like a, a huge, huge gap. Yeah. Yeah. But, but anyways, like, so with the sponsorship, like on, I was dating a, a girl in my, when I was, well, for a long time, for almost 10 years, Chandra Crawford, and she's the Olympic champion in 2006 in the sprint. Uh, she won the Olympics as a young athlete, 22 years old. It was a huge deal, but nobody is better with sponsors 
than Chandra. And I was like bad with it. And I hated asking for money. So I learned a lot from my ex-girlfriend. That is for sure. Uh, (laughs) And like how she would sell herself, but, and also like make it mutually beneficial and give back to her sponsors and communication is big. It's always, she continues to be like a great communicator. and, And that was, that was something that I learned from her is like, if you want to, if you want to have a sponsorship, from a company in Canada, then you better be willing and, and, and good to communicate with them and keep them informed and ask them what they want. And, and, um, and then get them excited about what you do, get their family involved, give their kids some ski gear or like get out there and teach them to ski or like try and make them a part of your process kind of thing. Yeah. And I thought that always, that always helped because I mean, just going to people, like I said, Canada doesn't have a big, great sporting culture. And so if you're going to someone and go like, I'm good at this fringe sport, give me money. Mm-hmm. They'd be like what the hell like i'm not gonna give you money dude <laughs> like no way <laughs> so you have to be like here's why i think i'm worth investing in mm-hmm. you know i do this professionally try and educate them and go like do you have kids are they involved in sport are they is there something they're into okay cool can i come talk at their kids can you can i, I can come talk at your kid's school i can you know do a an activities day oh that's i don't know cool. you, you grew up in Sudbury, so like yeah. i don't know if, i don't know if they still do it but like i was a member of track north for a yeah. lot of years um and they had like this thing called bobcats for kids yes we're like a track it's like a track camp like yeah but, yeah like after school track camp where you can try like high jump and long jump and running and hurdles Gee, eh? and, yeah. and, and there's, you know you can you can you can offer to organize us like a small not not as involved like that but like hey we can you know like me and some teammates or me my i can myself can organize for your kids class like uh couple activity nights and like mm-hmm. get out of the community and, and then then it's all of a sudden they're investing in you as the person instead of like just giving you money because you ski well or you run fast or you yeah jump. that that that's not a story so so no. that, i think that's that's my advice to anyone looking for sponsorship but i'm also a bit maybe some would accuse me of a bit elitist or whatever but like if you want money to do your sport you better make sure your sport is your priority and you're training hard and you're good I mean, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Like that has to be your priority. If, if you want to, if you want to be the best in the world, there's no shortcuts in that. And it's going to be a long, tough road for most. So, I mean, these kind of things I said to, to involve, mm-hmm. uh, like to kind of like work with sponsorship is important, but you, ha- you have to balance that with the work you have to do to be excelling your sport. And that that's tricky. It can mm-hmm. be tricky. So, now what i'm wondering is so in the olympic events with like the whole with the spotlight on you and it being every four years is the pressure different in the olympic games versus any other world and elite level uh, competition oh yeah for, for sure it is i mean like the whole field feels that i mean and, and it's also like so at the end of the day like i raced I ended up racing four separate Olympic games, but when you're standing on the start line, you don't, you're not thinking that, I mean, it's, yeah. it's like, this could be it. This is it. You know, four years is an eternity when you're a professional athlete. So who knows where you'll be in four years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so you just don't know that. And, and I mean, so for sure, the pressure is definitely like it's, it's turned up a notch world championships as well. That's every two years in cross country skiing. So in cross country skiing, you don't have a world championship every year. No so that's way. high pressure too. But oh. uh, but to wait four years for your next chance, uh, that's something that you definitely have to work with mentally to, yeah. uh, to kind of tune that out and, and just make it <laughs> try and make it as any other competition as you can. But it's kind of hard. I mean, 
you see sports from all over the world you're dressed in this stupid gear like this weird like canada gear and you're seeing like norway like <laughs> this is like it's almost like a Will Ferrell movie, really, because like oh, this is no. real life because there's no sponsor markings in anything. So it's just kind of weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't blend in, stands out a little more. No, that's a huge difference from from yeah. the World Cup or the World Championships or anything. And you're seeing athletes from all all sports, you know, and that's uh, that's not something you're used to as a cross-country skier, of course, or any other yeah. sport within the Olympic movement. So. So for sure, it, it is it's definitely a big deal. And uh, the pressure gets turned up. It turned up. Nosh, but you know, as a professional athlete, like you kind of, you get off on that too, yeah. because that's, you know, it, it, there's nothing better than performing on the biggest stage and, mm-hmm. and that's what you're kind of burning to do and prove yourself. So with that pressure, while there is increased pressure, it's also a, a, a feeling that's like, you know, it's addictive really. Cause I yeah. mean, it, it's uh, to get into that zone and give yourself a chance to compete against the best on a day. Everyone wants to win is a pretty cool feeling. No kidding. Like you crave that adrenaline. Oh, for sure. And yeah. it's, but it's not even just adrenaline. I think it's just like, it's more just like, well, I mean, Olympic athletes are competitive, but uh, in general, but yeah. I, I think it's just like this. It's like anything when something's on the line, it always, you know, it people have a lot. I mean, I had a lot of really horrendous races at the Olympic Games. I've had some great races too, but um, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, but like like showing up on a start line or showing up to write an exam that really matters to you, or showing up at a job interview that you uh, for a job you, you really, really want. want. It's, yeah. it's all kind of it's all kind of relative, but it all it all huh. can be linked together. It's like anytime you want something really bad you feel that pressure, but it also feels that much better when you succeed or, or when you even yeah. just give it the best shot. Like not every time you succeed, but if you can walk out of that exam or that job interview or, or the Olympic games and go like, well, you know what? I was prepared. I trained before this. This was a great race. I did what I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might be disappointed right there at the finish line, but with some time you can be like, well, geez, it was like, it was the best yeah. performance I could have had. And I have to take that with me. And, and, and there is, there is a small victory in that, even though there's not a medal hanging around your neck all the time. Yeah. You know, as long as there's no like regrets about it. Right. That's the whole, like that's the whole thing. Like you did your best with you prepared properly. Like there was no days where you went out drinking with the boys instead of going, you know, like it's yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, and I think that's, I've had, I've been on both sides of that, not like the regretting parting hard, but that's good. good. But, uh, (laughs) but but i mean but i mean i've had you know you you know you get away from a championship and you're like thinking back on the last year and you're like man we our program like the national team program for example wasn't organized well and i thought these camps weren't right for me and i did them anyway and this oh and you have that like kind of regret i no i don't i don't actually believe in the world regret so that's that's Mm -hmm. because i think like you make choices and i I trust the choices. I trust the choices I made there and then Interesting in my life. And you know, the cards it's easy. Regret is easy because you can always have hindsight and look back and go like, if I would have done this, but like, yeah, I, but I trust myself enough. I trust myself enough to think that like, if I could go back in time with the information I had at that mm. moment, there's a reason why I made that decision. I, if I could jump in the DeLorean and, and take a time machine back in time and, and do that choice again but with all the knowledge i had at that time I, i'm pretty sure i'd make the same decisions too yeah wow so, so, so really that leaves very little room for regret you know because nice. yeah there's not a lot of choices there's a lot of choices i wish i'd make differently 
mm-hmm. but I made them with the information I had at the time. And, yeah. and you, got, you got to kind of trust those decisions or else life right. is pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's easy to go back and go, well, what if I did this? Or if I had the yeah. game of what if never, it's never ending. And you end up in yeah. like a really miserable, miserable pit. Yeah, totally. Back, and you so. didn't do it. And, and it's not about yeah. what if you had choices, you made choices and, and mm-hmm. you know, um, we can't go back in time and, and redo, redo those choices with what we know 10 years in the future, five years in the future. Like that's just not, that's just not how this works. So it's a, it's a waste of energy. I think. That's fair. That's a, yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. There's not believing in regret. So now with that being said though, kind of bouncing off that, do you have, um, cause you did touch on it briefly where you said you have like times where you're like, ah, if I look, ah, I disappoint at the end of the race or whatever, or felt really good. But do you have a most memorable and least memorable or least favorite uh, time from uh, it could be like just an elite level event, like it could be a world championships, it could be an Olympic Games, like it could be whether like a team or a you performance, like a least and a favorite one. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know about a favorite performance necessarily, but like I, I got like one of the what I was actually left with with feeling like what like what if that those what if feelings and huh. at the end of 2010, you know, like when the Olympics were all said and done in Vancouver, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought, I thought our, our team in general made some, made some big mistakes. Like, I mean, we fired a coach in at the end of the, like in the spring of 2009 mm-hmm. and hired a new coach that had never worked with me or our team before like yeah. 10 months ago before the Olympics. Like this just this is ridiculous. And there was a lot of, you know, lot of energy wasted with like some training camp organization like um you know people were a little bit frustrated that you know we didn't feel like some of the training camps were communicated effectively and we had different ideas we thought we had sold we were sold something that that wasn't happening um Mm. that sort of stuff and yet at the olympic games in 2010 i mean i have my season's best performances at those olympics in vancouver but i also came away from the olympics with a fourth and fifth place finish which was which is these are great races i mean like i can't I take yeah, it for like, sure. Yeah, like fourth in the Olympics is good and fifth in the Olympics is good. But yeah, I remember like crossing the finish line and you're exhausted and the it really hit me after the 50k in Vancouver where I was fifth and I missed a medal by like less than a like, second. Yeah, yeah nothing. <laughs> and then that. having those those things like flood in and go like, man, oh man, like I've had so many different coaches in the last four years because the program is just was you know, like swinging back and forth like a tree in a hurricane. And, Mm. you know, we had a new coach that year. There was training camp disasters. Like, and you're, you're left there at the finish line and go like, I just needed this much. I I needed less than a second after racing for like two hours and 10 minutes. And it was a horrible feeling. It was like, it was a horrendous feeling. Cause you're like, there's so much like, cause you can't look back at the, I couldn't look back at the end of that race and be like, I did everything I could and everything I did, I really truly believed was the best it could have been. It was more, it was more like I made the best out of a situation I didn't believe was good. Uh, Yeah. Very different. Very different. Yeah. And when you miss a goal by like just nothing and then to add insult to injury, I mean, like that was your chance. I don't, I I had one chance to do the Olympics in my home country and I, I performed well, just not up but just not up to my goals. 
And when you see that train leaving the station, like it's crushing. It is there. And then it was really mm -hmm. disappointing. But that said, it really motivated me. And I kind of made a choice after that. That's like, no, I'm not going to. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think I would have won the world championships the, the season after we yeah. wouldn't have, Alex and I wouldn't have won the world championship in 2011 had, had we not had those near misses in Vancouver. I don't think so. No way. Because we were, the resolve was like, no, like now we do things the best. Now we yeah. do things the best and it's uncompromising and I'm not going to take it on the chin and I'm not just going to roll over like a dog and scratch my belly. It's like, no, because I never want to have that feeling again of like, crossing the finish line after like a, a solid not just solid like a great performance but mm -hmm. but thinking i would have done this better i would have done this better i would have done this better that's a bad feeling i, I didn't want to have that feeling again yeah. and and i was pretty relentless in the seasons following to, to be like no it has to be it's like the best or nothing like it is it has wow. to be and and we and the results showed for it the next couple of years of my career were for sure the best in my career and we made some not just myself but our team you know, it was the best, it was the best era in Canadian cross-country ski history, no question. And to be okay. a part of that, I think those near messes in Vancouver really, really helped us have that resolve to like, no, like now we do it awesome every day, always. Every damn day. Yeah. And then, and you do, you know, you, you, you see, it sounds so cliche and stuff, but like, I, I truly believe like results come of that. And I think also people, hmm. if, if you're really honest with yourself and, and, critical enough with yourself like you you know what you know what good enough you know what good is and you know what great is and you know what everything you can is yeah and yeah, I, I think very few people I think myself included myself included I think but I think very few people um are willing to like really go all in like for real mm -hmm. I, I I think the vast not just the vast majority I think like 99.99 percent or whatever the population just has no idea what i'm talking about they, they will nod along and say like yeah. oh yeah like i see that it's like no no <laughs> but if yeah. you're really honest i mean if you're really critical like can mm -hmm. you really dig in with yourself and see and ask yourself like how bad do i really want it or how much am i willing to to, yeah. to try i think a lot of people pull out earlier than than is needed and i'm me included like oh. i said i now i mean i that's kind of like the story of my life but like <laughs> It's um, at the time, at the time anyway, it wasn't just me, but Alex Harvey, yeah. my teammate, who's the best Canadian cross-country skier that ever lived, uh, you know, he, he definitely felt that too. And that, that, light, light, that lit the fire that, that uh, paid dividends in the seasons to come. Mm -hmm. You don't say, jeez. Because I remember, and at least my favorite memory of Yorker has to, well, you and Alex winning the 2011 championships yeah, it was, in it was in oslo yeah it was it? In oslo. Yeah. yeah no it was a crazy it, like yes. uh, gangster oh, oh man no it was crazy i mean like to beat petter nortug who who is you know is one of the best male cross-country skiers that ever lived and is definitely like the rock star of cross-country skiing i mean like there's no bigger name in cross-country skiing uh, than petter nortug and and like to beat to beat him you know, on his home turf but well, he's not from oslo but he's from norway and, norway yeah and like, you know, 100,000 screaming fans. And it's just like, it's a, you know, it's like anything. Like if you're a hockey player from Germany, mm -hmm. you know, that's sweet to win the German league. But you know what? It's, you can't compare that to winning the Stanley Cup, you know? No. Like the, that German player wants to win the Stanley Cup in like, and and uh, it, it, it with an original six club, you know what I mean? Not not mm. with like the, the Florida Panthers or something, but with like a real, <laughs> like with, with the Red Wings or with, with yeah. you know, 
the Maple Leafs or, or the Canadians. They didn't know they'd never win anything anymore. But like, but I just, I just like, so that's the same for me as a Canadian skier, of course, like to, to win a race in the birthplace of skiing is a pretty special feeling. Yeah. And, and um, you know, Oslo's venue, Holman Colon, the venue there, it, it is the, it is, it is the most historic venue we have in cross country skiing. No question. It's, it's, it, and you feel it when you're racing there. It's, it's yeah. something special to race at home and cold, which is just above Oslo. It, it's the Oslo cross country ski trails. Yeah. So yeah. that was a, of course, there's no question. I mean, like, that was a, like a, a huge highlight of my career. And I really think that like a performance like that might not, yeah, might not have happened had, had we got, if I had, I got two bronze in the, in, in the Olympics you know, but who's to say, it's all just, it's all just like now it's, it's kind of irrelevant even to reminisce about that. But I mean, I, I do every mm -hmm. once in a while, you know, there is, I don't, I, yeah, again, like silver lining is a stupid way to put it, but, but it definitely lit a fire in our, in our bellies to, to do things properly. And it paid off right away one year later. No kidding. So it's weird. I was talking, uh, not talking, sorry. I was list. I felt like I was in the conversation, but I was listening to, uh, a show earlier today kind of like prep for just like the energy of how how i think we should do this um but um the guy said something along the lines of he was trying to set a personal best in bench press but and they're talking about how failure is good is that it's a very good thing or not in the sense of failure as in you didn't even show up but as in you gave it your all and it just didn't quite work out and then the next week you're able to do that. And then he said the exact same thing you just did on the lines of if I did it the week before, would I be able to do it this week? You know, like if you didn't, or if you, like you said, got double bronze and then the next year, would you have placed at the world championships? Like how would that would have, yeah, so it's exactly. interesting to hear that. Yeah. 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 Cause you just don't know. I mean, and, and I mean like those things are the, everyone has turning points in their life. I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. And I mean, like I'm talking about a professional career, of mm -hmm. course, in sport, but I mean, the same can be said, like in anything, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you know, are you going to take that risk? Like, are you, you know, maybe yeah. you pass on something and that something you passed on turns out to be like the biggest thing since sliced bread. And you, you're living with that, like that mm. kind of like angst that like, Oh, I missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. But that feeling you have motivates you and lights the fire for you to go on and do something totally different mm -hmm. and, and make your own mark in something else. Like maybe, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Had you, had you hit that medium success as an entrepreneur in your, in your first endeavor. And, 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 you know, the same could be said as for yeah. We're philosophizing now. I mean, it's, right. there's no, there's no answer, but no. it's, it's interesting to think about. And I think it is something that, that, um, yeah, I, I guess like as a person, like I've always just had like this, like a real, well, one, I'm like, I'm a pretty curious person. I always have been, mm -hmm. but I'm like, I, but I also like would describe myself as like fairly relentless, like almost like, and that's, that's not in, you know, it serves, it serves me well in some forms of my life. And it also, it's also exhausting to be that relentless too, because you know, it's, it's not something as easy as like turning it on and off like a light switch. I mean, yeah. it costs energy to be like that, but it's, um, mm -hmm you know, in, in the, in the field or like in the realm of cross country skiing, especially as a Canadian, when you don't have the same support as like a Scandinavian team does, or Russia does, or, you know, the big, big nations of, of, of cross country skiing. And, you know, you, you better be relentless or else it's gonna, 
it's not it's not gonna go for you i'm sorry you won't you won't achieve what you want to achieve it's just we don't have a system in canada that's set up to to allow you to succeed like that just got to be relentless for it eh? create your kind of opportunities and just make the most of them yeah yeah for sure but but also like i like i said like i I think most people really know i mean it's and if you're not if you don't know and and you're not that self-aware then i quite frankly i'm not sure that you'll you know, especially in the individual sport, that that's for sure, or in business, yeah. you know, or anything that requires like you to build relationships and strong relationships and and have a clear goal. I I I I, I don't think you have to be so self aware, like and and understand, mm-hmm. like ask yourself those critical questions. Like you got to check in with yourself. You got to set those small goals because it's easy. Anyone can just like toss out a bunch of garbage. Like I want to win the Olympic gold medal, or I want to. You know, I, I want to make, uh, I want to start a hundred million dollar company by the time mm-hmm. I'm 30. It's like, okay, cool. But like that, that's just such, yeah. that's just such, that's just such garbage talk. But, but, but you have to kind of tell yourself that yeah. to motivate. you got to tell yourself something to get out of bed, but then you have to have all these like smaller goals along the way that are like pretty boring. Like, like yeah. honestly, super boring. Like, yeah. I want to run whatever these intervals, this interval set, um, you know, I want to be able to run this much further in, in each, in each interval for a five times five minute uphill running interval, for example. And yeah. that's a, maybe that's like a small goal or in the strength room, that's an easy one. I want to yeah. squat. I want to squat like 140 kilograms four times with perfect technique instead of right now I'm squatting hundred kilograms or something. And then it's something you build towards. And then yeah. when you start achieving all these small goals along the way, that is actually getting you closer to winning the Olympic games or, you know, in business or something, or, you know, you're mm-hmm. starting your own, you're starting your own thing and you want, you have a goal to be up, make a hundred million dollar company or whatever. Like you have to have small goals along the way to keep you focused because mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to dream, but you got you also have to like put one foot in front of the other at some point. And uh, I think you yeah. have to have direction with that. And that's where like, maybe that idea of being like a re- relentless can come in, come in handy, but, but it's also exhausting to do it that way. That's, that's the facts. Yeah. And I'm sure, and I think of what you said, and I'm, I'm sure you've read it. Um, I think it's by James Clear, I think, uh, Atomic Habits. And that was like the kind of whole, like the consensus of it is like creating why people, basically it's like, why don't people achieve their goals? Like it's, oh, like, oh, I want to quit smoking. It was like, well, it's not that easy to just, like you said, flip a switch. Some people could, some people can't, but the starting it, like breaking it down and then developing little systems throughout that can help you achieve that long-term goal because the long-term goal isn't necessarily and you can agree or disagree with this i'm sure but it necessarily isn't as important as the systems as the role the systems play so oh, i'm not, i 100 agree with that. i'm not like i'm not familiar with atomic habits or anything but like what you said like i mean i like i preach brother i mean like i <laughs> I, I, I i i i totally agree i mean I think it is important to have dream goals and I think it is important to like write it down or, or say it to a friend or your parents or something if you really want something because I mean there'll be days where it's just pouring rain for 10 days in a row and it's cold and you've been sick and you just don't want to get out there you're like fuck it I don't want to do it and like yeah. <laughs> sorry to swear just there but like uh yeah. but uh yeah. but um you know and you just don't want to you don't you just don't want to and, and then it's good to have a dream goal because you're like well mm-hmm. you know what like but I you know I do I do really burn for this and then then that's great. But, but a hundred percent, I mean, any, anything at least, but this is myself, like I can only speak for myself and yeah. 
I think like anything, any dream goal I've had, once I have achieved it, it's just like instantly becomes devalued. And then that's how you, that's how you realize like not to get all Zen or whatever, or like Buddhist or about it, but like, it is about, it is about this. It is about the systems and it is about the journey. And it is, that's what, I don't know. Like that's, that's where I found meaning in sport. No question. Mm -hmm. It's like standing on a podium, like with your arms in the air, like an idiot, like, yeah, it's, (laughs) yeah, it's elation for sure. There's elation there and it's, it's electric, No, no question, but it's, it's just such a fleeting moment. And if you're doing it or if like, I, I, I could have never continued as this like international ski racer for 17 years with, with just that. Like, I mean, it's empty, it's empty, but like falling in love with, like I said, curious, try to get to travel the world, explore different places, explore my, the, the limits of my mentally and, and physically I have to share that with many different people from all walks of life and all over Canada. But also, like I said, we had a lot of staff from Europe and, and, and we spent, you know, like seven months of the year, every year in Europe or, or yeah. around the world, like traveling like over 200 days a year. Um, and that, that journey, that, that, that's, that's the beauty. And, and mm. it's like, it's in those minutiae that, that, that I found meaning and that's what I remember now. Like, I mean, people often ask me, it's like, oh, like, how was it to like, you know, how was it to win this? Or how was it to be like up? That's, you know, like, I, no. honestly, like empty, but, but what I remember is like those workouts of beautiful runs in the Alps or, or skiing, like, you know, skiing in St. Ritz or skiing in Pontresina in Switzerland and, and just the sun setting over the Alps and you're totally by yourself and it's perfectly groomed and you're like a kid from Sudbury. No. You know what I mean? And you're, you're like, this is my life. Like, pinch me. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what that's you remember. Or just, or just like stupid car rides with your teammates, like joking around, laughing till you cry, yeah. like about something meaningless. Like, like completely whatever, meaningless. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and then the highs and lows of everything, you know, like uh, in people's lives, like really getting to know people and it's cliche, but it's true. Like, mm-hmm. you know, your teammates become like a family to you. And, yeah. and, you know, when you spend that much time with people I and mean, you get to know them mm-hmm. at a really deep level and you see them at their best and you see them at their absolute worst. And, and that, yeah. I don't know, that's what makes the journey worth it to me. That that's what's made it worth it to me. And when I close my eyes and think back um, on it, I mean, that's, that's the stuff I'm so thankful for. Not like not winning any sort of race or, <laughs> And like that, because yeah. it's there's new champions now, like you know, as there should yeah. be. There has to be. Ago, yeah. No, but there also has to be. Like as great as uh, as great as like the best hockey players in the world are or were, like Mark Messier. Yeah, he was great. Wayne Gretzky's touted as like the best hockey player that ever lived. When I was growing up, we had pictures of Wayne Gretzky all over my room. Like, of course, Mario mm-hmm. Lemieux, they're great. But like for the kids now, like Wayne Gretzky's just some old dude that talks on yeah. TV. It's the Connor McDavid too. They all like yeah. want to be or like Ovechkin. They all they all, they want to be like a sniper like Ovi. Like that's what they want to be now. And you know what? In some years, yeah. Ovi is just going to be like some old weird Russian dude. Like it's <laughs> there'll be a new yeah. there'll be there'll be new hockey players that inspire the youth, the Canadian youth, mm. to be to be the best and be relentless in their own way. And I think that's what's fun about sport too. Is it's yeah. ever evolving and you can't. And anyone that just kind of like sits back and goes like, oh, back in the days, like this is what I used to do and just starts flexing like that. I don't know. Run the other way. I mean, God, the other way. I feel bad for them. It's just yeah. like such a horrible way to live your life. Well, you know what? I'm not going to judge anyone else. <laughs> the, way, 
I just did, but I just did, <laughs> but I, and I didn't mean to, but well, I guess I kind of did, but, um, that's your episode. I, you say what you want. No, no, but, but I guess what I, what I was yeah. going to say, like for me, that, I, that's just not how I, I don't see, I don't see value and I don't see, yeah, I don't see anything in that. Yeah. That's fair. It's like a, it's a living in the past with, but in like the opposite of the, oh man, I was back in the day. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's weird. Cause it's living in the past from like a different way than the standardized way of thinking about it. And it's like, Oh, I, if I would have done this, I would have been like, well, but yeah. interesting. So when we first uh, connected a couple weeks ago, um, you, we chatted after an exam you had. Yeah. Now, I'm curious to know, because obviously like the skiing's in the past, you've uh, kind of, you've moved forward, you're a married man, you got kids, the whole nine. Um, what, what are you studying now? Like, what was uh, yeah. the exam and stuff? What's that like? <laughs> right now? Right, right now, I'm actually studying physiotherapy in, oh, wow. uh, in Oslo, but I live in Lillehammer, which is a couple hours away. So it's not a, that's not the best uh, situation, but it's okay. There's, there's no, physio wasn't something that was offered in, in Lillehammer, so that's how it is. But my main, my goal is and has been to study medicine. So I'm, I'm hoping to be able to start studying medicine in the, in the fall, but who knows? I mean, you know, you've probably have friends and everyone knows no matter where you are in the world, like it's, it's a challenging program to get into. So it's yeah. been quite the journey. And I mean, I'm studying here in Norway. I live in Norway. Like you said, I'm, I'm married with two daughters uh, under the age of five. So it's uh, busy times, yeah. <laughs> exhausting, <laughs> exhausting, but a lot of fun um but yeah I'm, you know all my schooling's in norwegian so that's been a big challenge i've been living here for four years so it's um oh. you know st studying in a studying in my third language is <laughs> yeah for sure there's some uh there's some days of hair pulling where you're like oh my god like i'll never get this but a lot like skiing and stuff like you know when you fall in love with someone that lives in a different country and next thing you know you wake up and you have kids in a family and you're living in that different country like all the crying yourself to sleep's not gonna not gonna get you where you need to go. So you gotta just you know suck it up, buttercup, and and learn it. And and one good thing is I've I've never been someone that's I don't know I don't know I don't want to say like take myself too seriously, but like like I don't I'll try like I'll hack my way through it. And if my language isn't perfect, like whatever, I'll just keep I'll just keep hacking like hacking my way. I'm, I'm not afraid to try. And, um, so yeah, so that's what I'm up to now. And it, yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely a challenge and who would have thought I never would have thought if you asked me as 25, like yeah. hey, living in Norway, studying you, that dream you had when you were like in high school at Lockerbie that you wanted to be a <laughs> medical doctor. Yeah. You'll be 38 and you still haven't even started med school, but you're still kind of chasing that dream. Yeah. I would have laughed in your face and be like, dude, <laughs> first of all, I'm not going to ski till I'm like 35, 36. That's ridiculous. Two, I'm not <laughs> To live in Europe why would I live in Europe Canada's why the best place in the world to live and and three like if I don't get into medical school by the time I'm like in my late 30s like that shit for sale but here I am and uh you yeah. know it, it it definitely interests me still and it's something that I thought about even before I thought about being a cross-country skier at a high level so you know we get one chance at life and and you gotta or at least you can do whatever the hell you want but for me like I really yeah. feel like it's something that's held my interest for a long time and sport took everything. I had to put everything into it at the time. And, and mm -hmm. now 
now I'm on this journey and, uh, you know, if I have to be a physiotherapist instead, that's, that's fine. It's not something maybe I burn for quite as much as, as, uh, medicine, but I'm mm-hmm. learning a lot and it's uh, an interesting perspective to see how Scandinavians teach the, teach the subject and like how the profession uh-huh. is done here in Scandinavia compared to what I'm used to. And as, as an athlete from a sports physiotherapy perspective, yeah. so you always have to put that as a, in a grain of salt. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have a lot of experience with physiotherapists, but just in a sports perspective in Canada. So it's, it's fun to mm-hmm. see the differences between uh, Scandinavian perspective and Canadian and being on the other side. I'm not the athlete anymore. Now I'm yeah. studying to be the therapist. So that's kind of interesting. What is, um, what is something that you found most like eye opening about the way that they, instruct in schools or the way their school system is kind of set up yeah i mean well it's hard for me to like it's hard for me to compare completely because like i i started like i was starting like a biochemistry degree at ufc or that was the goal yeah um and then i put that on ice but you know like now i'm in like a profession study or like a professional degree in physiotherapy so like you know, comparing my experience sitting in like calculus or something in at UFC as a first year calculus student or a second year biology student or something like you, you can't really, yeah. <laughs> you know, lecture like, a, like an ant with like, you know, 700 other people with a professor that was like mumbling through his slides. Like mm-hmm. it was not personal whatsoever, but, but no. in physiotherapy, like you just can't learn to be a physiotherapist in that environment. So of course that's okay. not the case now. Um, yeah, so it's bad. so it's hard for me to really like um, ah. uh, comment on that completely. I, mm. I I don't really know, but but I mean it is. I, I would say there's like a huge level of autonomy in in Scandinavian education, where like you have to take ownership for yourself, and that university you have to do that anyway. I mean, like they're not they're, you're not in high school; they're not spoon feeding you here and there. Yes, yeah. it takes or like a while to get there, should, but they shouldn't be. But they shouldn't be spoon feeding you <laughs> like no. in university. Um, and in, and in, in Norwegian university, they 100% are not like, like you better have the motivation to do it because if not, like, yeah, kick rocks. It, it sounds kind of brutal and it's not as brutal as I'm making it sound, but, but they're definitely like, if you're not willing to put the work in, like Norwegians yeah. are tough and they're not yeah. going to wipe your butt and give you a baby bottle and sing you a lullaby. It's like, you know, if you work hard and you, and you, and you, ask questions they're there to answer them and stuff but you have to be able to stand on your own two feet no question at least in physiotherapy Uh that's what i'm experiencing yeah it kind of i found at least from from my college experience is it's very it sounds like similar but definitely more like if enough students wanted an extension whereas you guys probably don't think about that you're like no like teachers probably yeah not a chance or we're like every single assignment i would raise my hand at the beginning kind of half as a joke and half like if they were willing to do it this i'm like hey, sir can i can i get an extension on this one and they're yeah. like no glenn i'm like all right i'm gonna ask the same thing but yeah never got it but yeah oh. you guys well, probably wouldn't i like that i like that uh, i like that attitude to try Thank but yeah no, in, i would say like in in um yeah, but again, like, yeah, studying physiotherapy, it's just hard to, I, I, it's hard for me to compare that to like, what like it was like when I was studying a bachelor's degree. And so it's like, I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's a challenge. But no, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting experience. But doing all this in Norwegian is pretty hardcore. Like, I feel like it's uh, that adds a level, another level, of, that's another dimension, because like, it's not my first language, like I said, and I haven't been speaking yeah. it for all that long. So what a few years now? 
even yeah, speaking? Like, I mean, how do you do you take yeah. lessons or? Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because like when I moved over here after my career was done, like to get residency, you had to like, there's so much stuff I didn't know. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, this would be fine. I don't have to do any of this. But like, I actually had to go to like language school. Like I, I had to like, I, I, you can't study, of course. Like, you know, but in Canada, in Canada, think about it, like, have you had professors? I have in Canada, they, they can't speak English. Like, oh yeah, not a lick of it. No, they're like, blah, blah, blah. it's like, yeah. what are you saying, dude? How do you get this job? Like you can't communicate. <laughs> You know, it's like, and you look, maybe you obviously took like a, a, an ESL, like some ESL course, yeah. maybe bought one online or something. I don't know. But like, it's like, but in, in Norway to study in university, there's definitely like uh, language equivalency or like language, um, language proficiency tests that you have to pass. And they're hardcore, dude. Like this is not, this isn't just some like joke of a ESL course that, that um, yeah. So like, so I, I, the first year I, I went to like, yeah, essentially like a Norwegian, Norwegian school is 20 hours of class a week. And yeah, I'm like writing, listening, like reading comprehension, uh, writing, listening comprehension, and then, and then speaking. And then I had four exams that I had to pass um, that, that allowed me to study at, at the university level like so it's like That's and i crazy. didn't think it was going to be that hardcore like I, I thought it was like i think but the government you know we like norway is a quite a socialist uh, mm -hmm. country and has an amazing political system uh no question uh, but so me with my family residency permit that i was with like i was able like i had 600 hours i had to do 600 hours and pat and, and like i didn't have to pass the level of exams i did uh, because you don't have to go to university, you know, but if you want right. to go to university, you have to pass this level. And, and the thing that was kind of interesting there too, is like in, in um, Norway, university's free. So I think that's probably why. Oh yeah. Come on. Yeah. yeah it's totally free. Oh, well, you have it. No, there's a semester fee. Sorry. This is what's oh. funny. You have to pay a semester fee. It's like, I think it would be about 80 bucks Canadian. So it's free. Yeah. Totally free. So medical school, like if I get into medical school in the fall, it's free. Yeah. Come on. Where, yeah, dude. Like, where does that money come from to fund like teachers and stuff? Is that like Norway's loaded for one oil? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and they, they, you know, they took care of the resources really well. It's a high tax base. You know, you pay an insane amount of taxes here in Norway. The cost of living in Norway is insane. It's really expensive. Right. I would say it's probably like, it's about, it's between two and 2.5 times more expensive than, canada uh, like for your cost of living but at the same time you know if you go to university and you you don't come out with like buried in debt yeah I, but also like the in the the inequity in the in the culture too is something like very different than canada i mean i grew up thinking like let's take a doctor's salary or whatever where people yeah. are like i heard of so many doctors in canada complaining they don't make enough money because they're always comparing themselves to american doctors you know and American doctors make way more money than Canadian doctors. They do. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then you go to Norway and you're like, Oh my God, like the cost of living is over twice as much. And a Norwegian doctor makes like one fifth or one sixth. What a, with a, what a Canadian doctor makes one yeah. fifth, let's say seriously, but you're that's kidding. how, your society, but that's how your society is structured. Like maybe, maybe a family doctor doesn't need to make 350, 400,000 a year. Yeah. You know? For what? <laughs> Yeah. So half and, the time, yeah. Yeah. And in Norway, you know, but at the same time, if, if you're going to have, if you're going to expect doctors 
in Canada to take on like these insane student debts to to take their bachelor's degree and then their medical school and it costs like just like an exorbitant amount of money then you know what maybe the only way to make this go around is like to pay them a lot of money to like have the incentive that they're going to take this eight years of education to do it but whereas in Norway like you don't have that so medical school is six years, but it's, it, there's no, it's, it's free. It's you have so to buy your book. You have yeah. to buy your books. You have this place to live, stuff like that. That makes sense. But you don't have any tuition. So, wow. but then when you graduate, you're not, you're not making a whole lot of money. You know, right. you're making, you're making no question a fine salary. Like it's fine. It's yeah, not like a, a livable salary. Yeah. It's not like a doctor's hurting to live over here. That's not, that's not my point, but it's uh, but they're not, they're not ballers, you know, and not yeah. even. Huh interesting because i know friends now and i talked to a few of them and they want to i have one friend she wants to pursue like she wants to go from a lab technician to study nursing but can't afford it because she's still paying off but they're like oh it's gonna be four more years but i'll be making x amount more it's a weird justification right and then you almost feel like you have to make it back after like oh i need to work in the field for x amount of hours in order to make back the education and then well now what yeah and i think that's a failure in the canadian government honestly yeah i think i think i think think we're so heavily influenced by the u.s um Mm. that like this free market idea i'm not going to just sit here and start sounding like a commie but uh (laughs) but but still but still like something like education costs i think like we in canada we just celebrate so hard that we're not the u.s and that's great it is great i mean canadian canadian education is so much more affordable than the u.s it's not even funny and we should celebrate that it is that but is it a perfect system not even close, not even close. no like I, I i you know not to sound like bernie sanders or whatever but like i i see no reason why you couldn't have you know have university k maybe not free like it is in norway or something but like have, have something like heavily subsidized like heavily subsidized make mm-hmm. it affordable so that your friend that's a lab technician it's like if you really burn for nursing and you want to help in the healthcare field in a in a field that is needed in Canada, bad, you should yeah. have that opportunity and not put yourself at a serious disadvantage to do it. You should be encouraged to do that because Canada needs nurses and needs mm-hmm. motivated nurses. Um, so instead of having all these barriers like we have now, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot to be uh, a lot to be improved. But anyway, no kidding. Jeez, it's one of those things that. Like, that's what I was looking forward to as well with this. I was like trying to understand the way Norway runs things. Cause as close as I got to Norway was Germany. Yeah. When I did my traveling, uh, yeah. throughout, uh, when I finished school and traveled out through Europe, that was as close as I got. And I was like, never went up, but I remember, and it's touching on that healthcare thing you mentioned where um my buddy i think had i think his appendix burst or something yeah Yeah. while he was like leaving switzerland because it was he climbed the alps met me in germany yeah in germany when the day before he's supposed to meet me his appendix burst or something and he was in the hospital and i was like dude like what's going on he's like german healthcare system is ridiculous i'm like bad and he's like no like they're quick, they are like just so engaged and personable. It's like that's incredible. Okay. They're not just coming in, writing, prescribing, and leaving. So it's interesting. Very interesting to see. Yeah. So yeah. No, it is an interesting environment. Yeah. And and Norway, Norway, but I mean, like, I'm I believe in the I believe in the 
you know, I believe a lot in a lot of the politics that, that Norway puts forward. So it makes sense that it's been easy for me to live here because of that, because, you know, it's a lot easier for me to live in, in Norway than it is to live in Alberta from a political standpoint. Wow. Like, I mean, I, I think, I think like Alberta politics is some is disgraceful. It's disgusting. So, wow. Yeah. So that's crazy. Right. But there's think, but think about this, like not to, not to dwell on this too much, yeah. but just, just think about this and this will piss some people off, but then I hope that they can just stop and think about it. Like, Think of the redundancies we have in Canada and no one can really answer me why we have them. So why does every province have their own rules for driver's licenses, for example, or speed limits? Why do we have, why do we have an Ontario driver's license? This makes no sense. Why don't you have, why don't you have a Canadian driver's license when you're in Germany? (sighs) Speaking of Germany, There's, there's over 80 million people live in Germany, like almost 90 million people live in Germany. Yeah. When you're, there's not Bayern or Saxony license plates. It says German. It's like the D Deutschland. That's it. Yeah. Your, your license is a German driver's license. It's not a Bayern driver's license. When you're driving in Bayern, it's not like the learner's permit for a kid that's living in Southwest Germany gets to get their learner's permit when they're 18 but then in saxony they get to do it when they're 16 and then all the speed limits and policing and everything is like their own little protected system like yeah why in god's name is a country like canada that only has like 35 million people easier why do we have why the hell do we have every province and territory has their own systems rules everything when it comes to driver's licenses and speed limits and policing this makes no sense this is a waste of money no you're right and similar drinking age as well i find it's like it's drastic exact same why 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 in quebec can you can you you know drink when you're 18 in ontario you can't drink till you're 19 and in quebec you can go to a like a, a grocery store and get beers and in in ontario you can't do that and it's like we're one country people like yeah. we're one country and we're not even a big country. We're a huge country geographically, but right, not but... by population. Yeah. And this makes huh. no sense. Like it, it makes such zero sense. And so much time is spent like arguing about this shit. And like, it, it makes, it, this is a ridiculous waste of money. Like I, I it made, it made me like really realize like living in Europe has definitely made me realize like political, provincial, like tribalism yeah. in, in Canada uh, it's embarrassing. That's what it is. Oh. It's embarrassing that we have such tribalism in in with provincial politics. Like, there's so much that the federal government could just take care of and should take care of in a country mm-hmm. that's so small, like Canada, population wise. Yeah, that's. Oh, but but it's just Canada. it's just tribalism. That's all it is. It's like yeah. no, no, I want to do it my way because I'm in Ontario and you don't understand. Like, driving in Ontario is way different than driving in Alberta. Like my ass, it's the Dude. same. No. What's I'm, the difference? No. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not. I've driven like exactly. October last year. There and back. Exactly. West Coast exactly. back. No, totally. Exact same. Yeah, exactly. Why can't we have like can we streamline this? Yes, we can. Can we yeah. save a lot of money? Yeah. Absolutely. Can we make it a lot easier for everyone? Yeah. So like, much easier. And think about this too. Like, like I know we're getting way off in the tangent, but like I moved from Ontario to be to, uh, to Alberta. Yeah. How come my car has to be safetyed? Like, no, no, it has to be like, no, no, your car needs to be like, you need to take it to a mechanic and have it safetyed. Again. So it's, so it's, so it's okay. It's getting the all clear from yeah. for to drive in Alberta. It's like, we're one country. 
like why like why in the hell are there different rules in ontario and in alberta for used cars being safe to drive on the road like this is insane yeah so there's and there's so much of that in canada that just makes me like cringe it's like oh my gosh embarrassing it's just embarrassing no that's that's a very unique perspective that i'm glad we're getting like we've gotten into it um about it because that's i've driven like throughout europe and i've driven across canada and back and seeing the comparisons just from like that outsider perspective but hearing you say how drastic and obvious it is yeah on, like the way the system is like is that's fascinating to me yeah and like i want to hear other than the fact that like the tribalism and the like protect your own i would love to hear a coherent argument as to why ontario needs completely different licensing regulations than quebec or then or then alberta or then manitoba mm -hmm. like, uh, the federal government should do this it's yeah. just stupid i don't i don't know like i can't i mean, i won't be it the one make no sense. Yeah, no. But it just it doesn't make any I sense i can't wrap my head around it, it. Yeah, no, it's it's just like yeah, and that and that's nothing to say with healthcare. That we'll leave yeah. that one aside. Yeah, that's a that like that a doctor that a doctor in Quebec makes X and a doctor in Manitoba makes Y and a, like the, the whole structure of it is just like yeah. what a mess. There's no standards or anything. Yeah, it's like it's a freedom argument, but then yeah, well, yeah, but like why? But it's not a freedom argument because no. you can't self sufficient without without federal funding. No, no healthcare system, no provincial healthcare system in the country operates without federal help. Hmm. So like, why do we have provincial healthcare? I, I don't get it. Why do I have an Ontario health? Like I have an Alberta health card, or I did, but I don't now. But like, yeah. why? Why do I have an Alberta health card? Why? Aren't I Canadian? Yeah. Like what is this? There's not. There's not. Again, there's not a. There's not a Bayern health card in Germany. There's not a Saxony health card. It's a German. No. You have a German health number. That's what you have. <sighs> Riddle me this. Like, yeah. it <laughs> man, so, I don't know. Yeah. Oh man, I'm kind of like, and that's something that I, I've found as I get older. That because as of right now and i guess the way the whole every country and it's obvious how every country is dealing with the coronavirus differently now kind of seeing and then hearing and then taking in different perspectives i've always kind of been rather impartial to politics depending yeah. on like what way my industry that i'm working in is going yeah, that's, but that's kind of like that's the cap for me it's like yeah. trying to be informed and educated well enough to make a uh, informed decision but it's kind of impartial so hearing that kind of stuff and then trying to dive into it is uh, that's something that i've been trying to get more into lately and understand and i i can't i can't quite fathom because a lot of it i'm like well why don't well this country does this like if you do a comparative analysis yeah, of it, yeah, it's, exactly. it's it's weird it's weird to me man i don't totally. uh, i don't quite understand totally and like but like take the coronavirus this is a great example like keeny out in alberta like, what are you doing dude like why are you even why do you get to why are you making the calls this is or, or doug ford yeah why, oh. why is the premier making any call like shouldn't you have a national strategy this is a pandemic like yeah. we need a national strategy for a pandemic and why are all these idiots like in the these premiers that like what why is Alberta's strategy? How can Ontario's strategy be so wildly different than BC's strategy when we're one country? It's it's disgraceful. 
it, it's a, it's a total this it's a disgrace mm-hmm. so and and like i feel it's just like it's like head scratching yeah you know like you because you don't have you do not have the same nightmares and i'm not going to compare it to norway because norway yeah. is too small it's like it's a five and a half million people you can't compare a country yeah. of you know 35 million people to a country of five and a half million people but like and you know like a lot of european countries got destroyed with the coronavirus i mean germany oh yeah great healthcare system like you said very well organized like the leader of europe it mm-hmm. got just demoed with the coronavirus no question it had a national strategy so it hasn't been working either but but it's still like in in times of crisis i, I just why do we have these why do we have these provincial leaders these tribal leaders essentially like just yeah. like fighting fighting with other people instead of just like rallying around the cause which is there's a pandemic in our country what's the best way forward on this and let's all fall mm-hmm. in line and let's do it yeah cuz like the risks that affect Manitoba are the same risks that are going to affect Alberta which are the same risks yeah. that are going to affect Ontario and we we owe it to our citizens to to mount the best defense we can on it instead mm-hmm. of like all this infighting and like all these wildly different strategies like i just like it's not something i thought about when i lived in canada because it's just so normal but like after yeah. living in, after living in europe i just i'm just like this this makes zero sense to me that's that's so cool like that's a very cool like perspective you have on it and it's funny you mentioned the individual uh provinces i should say because we did my uh me and four of my best friends took a trip last year for two weeks during the midst of it let's call it that and we left from ontario to manitoba but we called manitoba right before we showed up and they're like state of emergency you have to stay here or quarantine or just drive straight through and that's what they ended up letting us do. And we show up, we stop once for gas and they're like, masks are recommended, do this, whatever, but there's state of emergency. But then you go to Alberta and it's fine. And then nobody in BC really cares, but Alberta's like all restaurants closed. And then you get back to Ontario and they're like, you can't flick a booger without people getting mad at you. Like there's all these crazy things that I'm like, I don't understand. So hearing you say that it's that much more obvious when you're away is kind of like, Oh yeah, it's super obvious. Like what you're saying is like, it's the definition of like madness is what it is. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's full on madness that Alberta can steer their pandemic response wildly differently than Ontario yeah. can. This is madness. This is mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so it's I a, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a topic that we, I'm sure we go on with. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. forever, and it's not gonna, no, no. Uh, it's no, no. not gonna end because no, no. there's, again, there's no this, is, this, this conversation has just been a lot about philosophizing, which is essentially yeah. just filling the airways. That's it. But that's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. So that, so there you go. Just to swing back into like what we had talked about before, it's like anytime you live in another country, and I'm not just living as an expat either. You know, like my wife is a, a national; she's Norwegian yeah. citizen. My kids you know, they don't even speak English to me, which is a real bummer, but I, I only speak English to them. So a little bit of French too, but, um, you know, but you know, their grandparents are Norwegian, they're living in a Norwegian society or whatever. So like, um, but it, it does offer you a lot of perspectives. And I think like with my racing career too, like that's the biggest thing to take away. And I think if you interview any of the other athletes I raced with, you know, throughout my career, they'd say the same thing. It's like, you, you just, you get it, even though you're just a traveler as an, as an athlete or even or mostly like not even a traveler or, or, or an observer because you're just so in your own bubble 
Mm-hmm. But after you do it for like 15 years, man, like you really do get a sense of different cultures and different perspectives and different people and meeting different people and, and feeling comfortable in many different places. And, mm-hmm. and, and of course you, you compare what you're seeing and how things are run to what, you know, back home and, and yeah. this sort of things. And you have amazing discussions like we're having now yeah. uh, around the dinner table about cool. all these kind of stuff and, and long into the night. And, and that's what makes that, that time memorable and and makes it worthwhile and makes it so you can do it year after year because if you're not having those real moments with your teammates like you're you won't last you won't last in there you won't last in the game that you have to pack your bags and leave for five months it's just not going to happen so so but you definitely become like a world not just a world traveler but yeah you gain a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different countries and a lot of different people from those countries and that's what makes it worth it and i think that's that's kind of why like a genuine reason and a genuine curiosity I have for that perspective and wanting to understand just everything. And I know as that much of an umbrella turn as, Oh, all information ever. It's like, yeah, it's just more of an educate myself, educate my viewers and then try to understand as much as I can to help, whether that be like my future children or generations or my friends relationships, like people like that. So I think coming full circle with that is kind of like, there's a genuine curiosity. And I think more people need to have an open, and it's easy for me to say that sitting here, but to yeah, have, of course. like open mind to want to understand more. And so just close it up being like, lockdowns are stupid. It's like, okay, well the government's putting tracks trackers in us with the vet. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. All right. <laughs> Put down the weed. Yeah. <laughs> I just take a yeah. second too much you're paranoid you're paranoid yeah. full-on paranoid yeah that's funny no. but yeah no exactly and i mean but and, and i'm not to say like i'm not sitting here saying that like oh in europe it's so much better like of course yeah, no. not i mean like as beautiful as norway is an absolute beautiful country it doesn't have the wildness that canada has right like and that's yeah. what i miss i miss that I miss my family i miss my friends but i miss the wilderness in uh, in canada and that is so special i mean you know, I lived 16 years in Alberta and in Camor, which has got busier and busier and busier. But like, mm-hmm. if you wanted to be alone in the Rocky Mountains, it's pretty easy. Hike one okay. mountain range over, you will see nobody. You will see still. Yeah. You know, hike 40K over one mountain range into another. Maybe you have to do even one more. You will see nobody. Same in Ontario. Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. I grew up, you know, we grew up, my dad is a parks planner. So like we did a ton oh, of cool. canoeing and, and camping and that's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, when I was five to when I was 18 on family canoe trips through Killarney, of course it changed. And I couldn't even imagine what Killarney is like now. I mean, because it's so beautiful. It's probably just exploded Uh, even even more. So maybe that wilderness experience that I had as a seven-year-old is gone and it's gone forever. Mm -hmm. But if you want a wilderness experience in Ontario canoeing, by all means, hire a bush plane, hire a bush plane, chuck your like canoe and your family in that, get the guy to fly you North. Like, go for it man you'll see nobody just organized to get picked up like you'll have the real and that that's canada is the best country in the world as far as i'm concerned like for sure there's some things politically that yeah are left to left to, to be desired as far as i'm concerned but by and large canada's run very very well and and um you know that that wildness and that the uh, and then the people of course but i'm canadian so i'm like i'm super biased but i mean <laughs> canadians are the best people in the world so yeah. there's uh but we're also sensitized to that you know Mm -hmm. 
No, Norwegians sure. are great, but God, they're arrogant. So it's nice to get some more, uh, <laughs> you know, get everybody gets it, with yeah. humble, humble, uh, more humble Canadians is always nice. Yeah, I can imagine. So then, Devin, with the as we kind of trail to the end of this uh, conversation, um, do you have any kind of last thoughts or advice? Let's say I'm, I'm weird with that word, but any lessons that you'd like to pass on whether that be for my audience your audience people you yeah, know I mean, you don't know or anybody just stumbling upon this uh, it's hard for me to give like any sort of concrete advice other than like you know i, I just think like it, it just so it's super cliche but like don't be scared to to the like follow your dreams god that sounds so bad but like i mean <laughs> i mean it man like you know it's there's always going to be a lot of haters. There's just that that's just part of life. And even more so now. And it's, it's, you know, when I grew up and like I'm 38, right. So we didn't have, when I was a teenager, I didn't have smartphones. I, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we had the internet. Yeah. Uh, so we had that, but it, we wasn't just like such integrated part of our lives. But if you're into something, you know, don't be afraid to go after it. And, and, you know, no matter what community you grew up in, you, there's great people. I mean, I, we, you know, we started talking about high school and stuff like, I still think so fondly of, uh, you know, my, of like teachers in, in at Lockerbie that, that mm. made a huge impact on me and all these experiences shape who you are. And, and without those experiences, like who, who knows where I would have ended up, who knows if I would have had the gumption or the insanity to chase after some of the things I chased after. Um, but and also too, like this idea of risk, like I, I think we build this this term up in our minds like deeply, and it, it's like, what is the risk? I mean, I I just see it as a little differently. I, I don't know what it's like. Maybe you can attest to this. But like when I was in high school and stuff, and and uh, that last year, like in OAC, like everyone just talks about universities. Like, what universities are you going to go to? Yeah. What like you're applying for universities? You know, I want to get into this program, this, that, and the other. And like, I don't understand why there's not more discussion where we just stop and go like you're 18. What, what, why, why do you have to have all this figured out now? Like, why is it even the best to go to university yeah. from 18 to 22? Is, is that even the best thing to do? Or like, should we, should we more encourage, like, what are you into? Maybe yeah. take a year or two, like a, not just a gap year, but like take an adventure. If that's what you're into, if you're not into that work and see what that life's like, cause yeah. nothing, nothing will make you want to go to university. Then working for a year doing like some hard labor as a roofer or something to be like oh you know what maybe like i'm tired and sore and like can i really am i tough enough to do this for the rest of my life like that can really motivate you to go back to school (laughs) or or maybe it's your calling and and you're like you know what i got so caught up into this like university game where i felt like i really had to go to university but Mm -hmm. i didn't know what i was going to take so i took some random thing but all i really wanted to do was be a roofer right and like so i i think like take your head out of the ostrich hole every once in a while and look around and i think that'll always serve you well because mm-hmm. everything feels so desperate and it feels so competitive and it feels so now and it feels so like important right there and then like no no i need to be on this path and need to be like charging towards like this graduate high school go to university get a job like it's 2021 that's not that's not real life anymore no. i'm sorry yeah. It, like the life of like your grandparents or something that you could just like work in the same job for 40 years and get a good pension like it's gone man mm. so, yeah 
or maybe it's not gone. It's just so different. So my only advice would be like for young people, especially like graduating high school and stuff, if that's really what you want to do. And there is some kids that really know what they want to do and all the power to them, like go for it. Like just put your head down and study hard and just chase after your dreams and give her. But if you're one of those kids that doesn't really know, don't be intimidated by that. Cause I see a lot of, I, I see a lot of opportunity in that. I personally, mm-hmm. I think it'd be like my best advice would be like, don't participate in that. Like why, why participate in that and spend all this money and all this time going to get a university degree right away and something that you have no idea if you're into or not, like take a year, take two years, learn, learn mm-hmm. about yourself and see what you're into. And, you know, hopefully if you have parents in their family that supports you in that, then, then they'll always be there to help you. Like after those two years, you can really, for a year, at least you can really narrow it down. And when you get to university, you'll have so many better skills, man. You'll have so many, you'll be so far ahead of your, your competition in that because you got to grow up. Everyone has to grow up at some point, but that's, that's my advice. That's don't be awesome. afraid to take, don't be afraid to take the risk. I like that. I like that. That's a, uh... Yeah, I think it encompasses well kind of who you are and kind of where you've gotten to and that yeah, you're studying later in life is probably better than doing it right out yeah. the gate. So yeah, well, I mean, I study with guys, you know, I'm studying with guys that are like 23, 24 yeah. and like, you know, we're contempt, like we're, we're buddies and stuff and we chat and study together. But like, of course, they don't have the, they don't have the life perspective as me. I'm not saying like, wait till you're 38. I don't think yeah. any parent would be like into that, but like. <laughs> I filled my time. I filled my time doing something else that yeah. I thought that I wanted to do. And I, I felt like I had to do it with everything I had. So, but, nice. um, but for sure, I mean, I, I, I think from a studying perspective and that, and that sort of thing, if you really know what you want and you're goal driven and you're like, sure, by all means, give her like give her pinner and like go for it. Mm-hmm. But if you're having second thoughts and you're doubting and stuff like, but, and you'd burn for adventure, what's on your bookshelf. I mean, you know, what, what books do you yeah. like to read? What, you know, people don't, I know a lot of people don't even like reading books. I was always loved reading. So I mean, yeah. that's a bad example. What, what series are you watching? What, what, like, what kind of nonfiction stuff are you into? What, mm-hmm. what was interesting in school? Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you loved, like loved, loved, loved history, but you're like, I'm not going to get a history degree. Cause what the hell am I going to do with a history degree? And, yeah, and you're scared exactly. to do that. And all your friends are in pre-med and you're like, well, I was had okay marks. So maybe I should do that too. But yeah. like history was the only class in high school. You were like, wicked into and you were really into i don't know let's take something topical like the israeli palestine conflict right now i don't know yeah. just like you were like totally into that when you were learning that in school why not why not just like self like want to take a trip as a young person and and like uh, learn about it ask people yeah. talk to people about it like take some time to like figure it out more Man. And you can still do pre-med a year later. It's still yeah. there. Like, it's okay to do that. Yeah. And to have an adventure. And if you're yeah. really into, like, you know, adventures or sailing or something like that, and, like, that's what you're way into, mm-hmm. dude, like, go have an adventure, you know, when you're young and, and you have the opportunity and it seems like you need to have this stuff right now. But, you know, there's there's nothing i'm not living that but i mean yeah i couldn't imagine anything worse than waking up at my age and then being like having worked a job for 10 years and being miserable and, and like feeling like i never did anything yeah fair you're only you're only young once and yeah you gotta you gotta chase your passions and if you feel like you don't have those passions like 
again, like I said earlier in the conversation is I think just like ask mm -hmm. yourself those questions in the mirror, ask more critical questions towards yourself. Yeah. Everybody's into something, man. Mm -hmm. Everybody's into something. You just got to find it and have to be patient it. with yourself. Be patient yeah. with yourself enough to get to, to, to ask about it. Yeah. And try things, figure it out, yeah, like problem totally. solve for yourself. Don't just, yeah. Oh, maybe because of this person. And that's what, that's what I, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's living in Australia right now. And uh, he's, yeah. he's 20, 22. And yeah. I'm like, man, because he's telling me what advice his parents and his like family was giving him. I'm like, that sounds very specific. I'm like, what do yeah. you want? Like, dude, what do you want to do? He's like, I, uh, figure it out just try different things dude you're like you're over on the other side of the world totally just totally try things dude just try just i agree and then and also try without being so like judgmental with it too it's yeah. like try for That's trying sake part. you know mm -hmm. what's wrong with just like like be open like life will happen it will if you let it it will yeah but when you're like it's like you know playing hockey <laughs> like if you, you know, the old adage of like that hardcore hockey coach or whatever, like if you grip the stick, if you want it too bad and you grip it so hard, your hands turn to lead and you're done. You can't, yeah. you can't, you, you can't over grip your hockey stick. You have no hands. You, you won't be able to, you won't be able to play. Mm -hmm. It's the same with life. Yeah. You know, like if you, if you, like, if you're so freaked out and like, I need to figure out what I want to do, like, you're you're it's the same as me giving you a hockey stick and go like white knuckle it man like grip that hockey stick yeah. as hard as you Don't possibly let go. can. Yeah. yeah there's no creativity in that there's 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 nothing you <laughs> there's nothing but misery yeah. <laughs> like, you yeah. know so so um yeah there's the, i'll leave that with a bit of zen uh, and I'm, i don't even like i'm not religious yeah. whatsoever but i i just like to that, that i don't know i that makes sense to me no absolutely and it, yeah so with that being said um i really 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 appreciate you being able to make time in your busy life of work and studying family kids and everything i really appreciate you being able to make the time for me this uh well afternoon for me evening for you so i uh, really appreciate your time Devin, and uh i cannot wait for the feedback on this because uh i'm excited i'm excited so thank you very much thanks man have a great sunday great to chat i appreciate